Hello, and welcome to the Occupied Thoughts podcast. I'm Peter Beinart, a non-resident fellow with the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is July 22nd, 2021. I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend and colleague, Laura Friedman. Laura is the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. With more than 25 years working in the Middle East foreign policy arena, Laura, Laura is a leading authority on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, with particular expertise on the Israeli-Arab conflict, Israeli settlements, Jerusalem, and the role of the U.S. Congress. And uh, particularly relevant for today, for years, Laura has been researching and documenting ongoing Israeli Israel-Palestine related lawfare efforts, in other words, efforts to exploit U.S. laws, both state and federal, and courts to quash criticism and activism challenging Israeli policies to delegitimize Palestinian organizations and the Palestinian cause. Uh, and, and I think in that uh, regard, um, there's something which is uh, very topical this week that Laura is a really the perfect person to talk to, and that is the decision by Ben and Jerry's, or I guess the parent company Unilever, to stop selling uh, their ice cream in the West Bank, and 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 in particular the legal blowback that is now being planned for that. So, Laura, maybe we should just start by maybe you could just you want to just briefly kind of lay out what exactly Ben and Jerry's Unilever has done, um, and uh, and 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 what are some of the the kind of lawfare quote unquote responses that the Israeli government and its supporters are are talking about? Sure, thanks, Peter. Um, so, what Ben and Jerry's did um, is announced this week, as you said, that they are no longer going to be uh, selling in occupied territories, uh, which is West Bank and East Jerusalem. I don't I don't think they have an operation anywhere else. So the this has immediately been framed by the Israeli government, by Israel's defenders abroad as BDS, as a boycott of Israel, um, as anti-Israel, as anti-Semitic. Um, the, the president of Israel um, called it a form of terrorism. Um, so you get this, this just absolutely uh, energetic blowback immediately. Um, it's a really, I think, important to emphasize the statement that was issued made clear this does not have anything to do with Israel. They're not ceasing, you know, they're not ceasing to cut off, uh, to cut off distribution inside Israel. They say that explicitly. This is in that way very much similar to what happened with Airbnb in 2019, where you had a policy shift that targets uh, the West Bank, targets settlements, um, being portrayed as if it's uh, targeting all of Israel and framed as anti-Israel or anti-Jewish. So that's what they did. Uh, immediately, the, after alongside the howls of outrage, um, were threats saying this is going to this is going to uh, bring them into all sorts of legal jeopardy. And and first of all, I think we need to just make really clear: it is not illegal in the United States under federal law or in any state under state law. It is not illegal to boycott Israel or settlements. That would be impossible. You have the right to boycott what you want as individuals. That is, that is protected free speech. What you have done, because it's not possible, I mean, if it were possible to outlaw it, I think probably people would have done that by now. What folks have done instead, and this is um, various groupings of, of what we call lawfare actors in the US working, um, I think with, I don't, I don't think the secret to say they're working with support or coordination with the government of Israel. And I say that based on a tweet from Bibi Netanyahu claiming credit for these laws at one point, um, statements by Gilad Erdan, the current ambassador, former minister of strategic affairs who said similar things. So, you, so you've got these laws 
that seek to impose consequences on people who boycott Israel or settlements. And in almost every case, it's, it's either one. You've got a conflation of Israel and settlements. And the, there are two kinds of laws. <laughs> one of those laws um, seeks to, in a sense, say, if you boycott Israel or settlements, you do not get to enjoy the privilege of having contracts with the state. Um, and these are laws that have been challenged in multiple states. Um, and they've been challenged as unconstitutional. And I think it is all, all but a very small number of advocates on this would say they are brazenly unconstitutional because this is what's called an unconstitutional condition. It's basically saying that as a condition for competing and competing for and winning a state contract, you must give up your free speech. And that is unconstitutional. Um, those have been litigated in court. And in each case, all but one, the courts have said very clearly, boy, this looks and smells unconstitutional. Um, the, the laws have continued to exist despite those findings by courts because what legislatures have done repeatedly when they get that ruling, they say, okay, fine, we'll amend the law, not to cure the unconstitutionality, but to deprive the current set of plaintiffs of standing. So we'll narrow the way this law is applied to say, you know what? It doesn't apply to sole practitioners. It doesn't apply to a self-employed family of three running an operation. It only, it only applies to bigger businesses and bigger contracts. So therefore, now that it no longer applies to these people, they aren't injured, so they no longer have standing, so the case is moot and the law stands. So that's one set of laws. And that's a set of laws that could be brought to bear against Unilever or, or uh, Ben and Jerry's in theory, so that if they you know, are bidding for a contract to provide ice cream to the, the State Fair of Texas. They can't sign the required certification about boycotting Israel or settlements, and therefore they would not be able to have that contract. That's one. Number two is pension funds. And you've got laws in a number of states, not all of the states that have the first kind of law have the second. Um, the second kind of law states that uh, states cannot invest pension funds in any companies that boycott Israel or settlements. And if they find they are invested in these, in these companies, they have to divest. Um, and this is, I think, I think that's a harder question. I, don't, I think it's harder to argue that's unconstitutional. I don't think there's a constitutional right to have state funds invested in your company. Um, but that is another one that people are saying, well, can and, and, and will be brought to bear to punish uh, Ben and Jerry's and Unilever. Um, that's really helpful. Um, this is at the state level, anything that's on the books or brewing at the federal level? You know, at the federal level, there have been efforts, there have been efforts to, to legitimize the state laws, which are more sort of symbolic at this point. Those have failed. There were efforts to pass what was called the Israel Anti-Boycott Act, which was legislation really aimed at Europe and, and the UN to, to delegitimize differentiating between Israel and settlements. I think it's really important to say all of this legislation at the state level and at the federal level um, if you look at the timeline of when this legislation started and gained steam, it, it really started right around the time that the European Union adopted its policy of differentiation, where they articulated in 2015, they affirmatively articulated a policy which said, under international law, you shouldn't be doing business in settlements, you should be distinguishing between Israel and settlements, and you shouldn't do business in settlements. And at that point, you saw a, a shift in the policy of Israel from fighting, you know, BDS, BDS, and the essay, and the, 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 the whole idea that, that um, boycotting Israel is the problem. You saw them sort of um, hijack the, the, 
energies that saw BDS and boycotts of Israel as a problem and, and, and turn it, you know, 30 degrees. So now it's about really fighting boycotts of settlements. Um, and that's really what all these laws are first and foremost about because very few companies boycott Israel, very few major companies in the world boycott Israel. What Israel is worried about is companies that reassert a green line that they have spent the past 53 years systematically trying to erase both on the ground and in the hearts and minds of people in Israel and abroad. That's the biggest threat. So at the federal level, there is a legislation. There, there are those, I'm sorry, last point. There are those who will talk about the Arab League boycott of Israel and say it is illegal to participate in a foreign-led boycott. Mm. The, the problem there is this. Um, ben and Jerry's boycott, boycott, not even boycotting, Ben and Jerry's choosing not to do business in the West Bank is a decision of Ben and Jerry's. To argue that anyone who chooses to not buy a West Bank product or not operate in settlements is automatically being directed by a foreign party, and therefore this is a foreign-led boycott, is absurd. Moreover, the foreign-led boycott argument is about coercive boycotts, right? It's basically saying US citizens will not be allowed, we will not allow them as a government to be turned into soldiers in someone else's war. So if you want to boycott on your own, that's a free speech issue. If you're boycotting because another country says you have to as a condition for doing business with them, that's illegal. And that is simply not what's happening here. There is no coercive element. Even if you support the BDS movement, BDS is not twisting your arm and saying you have to do this. Um, it's basically saying like, you know, an idea, if it comes from a foreign source is somehow radioactive. It is, it is, um, it is absurd. So how many, do you have a rough estimate of how many states have passed one or two of these kind of laws, either the law that says no contract, that you have to promise not to boycott in order to get a state contract, or that the state is not going to invest in any companies that uh, are, are not, uh, are themselves not investing uh, in Israel and in the settlements? Yeah, I mean, I've got, so Palestine Legal tracks this closely, I track it closely, we both have tables. I think my latest count was 33 or 34 states have one or both kinds of laws. Um, and I think it's also worth noting that not every law explicitly says that it applies to the West Bank. Most of the laws say, you know, Israel, they define Israel to mean Israel, I mean, they define Israel to mean Israel and territories under Israel's control, or they define it to mean Israel and companies organized under the laws of the state of Israel. They have all sorts of like you know, ways to, to finesse it so it applies outside Israel's sovereign borders. But even for the ones that don't include that, the way it has been implemented, and we can see this based on the boycott, the blacklists that are, that are actually behind this law, because any state that, I think every state that has this law is part of the laws that they have to keep a blacklist of companies they're not allowed to work with. And those blacklists, the last time I looked, were, uh, were full of companies that don't boycott Israel, mm -hmm. uh, but that don't work in settlements, particularly the European companies that you know, do this based on, on international law. And how bipartisan are these, these efforts? How much support are they getting from Democrats in, in, uh, in, in state legislatures? Um, from what we've seen, it's entirely bipartisan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think what can be said about these, these laws is in many cases, they are not, they, they do not appear to be, you know, they do not appear to come from state legislatures. I mean, you have outside parties coming. The fact that this is essentially template legislation that just keeps showing up over and over is, is indicative of the fact that this is a broader national campaign that may not have a whole lot of buy-in locally. But it doesn't have to have a lot of buy-in locally when all of the major 
uh, legacy Jewish community organizations weigh in saying, this is the pro-Israel thing to do. This is the right thing to do. This is the thing you do to fight anti-Semitism. Um, these are being passed and supported by Democrats as much as they are by Republicans. Right. So do you have any sense of how much um, financial cost there could be to, I guess Unilever is the, is the parent company, right? So it's not really Ben and Jerry's, it's Unilever, which sells all kinds of different stuff. Um, how, uh, how significant uh, a cost they might face as a result of these laws? It's a great question. I think the first thing to, to recognize is that the, the goal of this campaign right now of naming and shaming and targeting Ben and Jerry's and Unilever isn't so much about the financial cost of these laws. It, it, it's about reputational harm and it's about legal misery and causing them trouble with shareholders and all of that. And, 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 and a lot of that is about sending a message to all other companies, don't you dare go there. <laughs> if you do this, you will also have misery. Mm. Um, in terms of actual, like, the amount of money they could lose. I, I mean, first of all, it depends on what sort of contracts they have or would have competed for at state level. Um, I, I think that's probably a fairly small, compared to the, the overall value of a company like Unilever, it's, it's not gonna be massive. Um, and divestment, let's be clear, divestment is, is basically a performative exercise, right? It's the, it's the divesting body standing up and saying, we stand for these values, this is not consistent with our values, we are walking away, which is, is good. I mean, right, you, you make your statement, you feel good about yourself, um, but we've seen this like with the fossil fuel industry and you can, come cl you can sort of clear out your, your, uh, your stock portfolio, but it, it doesn't necessarily or even likely um, have a real impact on the bottom line value of shares. And with something like Unilever, which again, is a huge company, great value, broad-based, you know, broad-based, you know, companies inside of it, you know, there's an entire world of investors that are not going to divest. And that, you know, if there is a brief drop in the price of shares, we'll probably say, well, this is an opportunity to buy because <laughs> this is a really good stock. And on top of that, you've got right now the, the potential for a, you know, a reaction by people who support managers for doing this, who might say, hey, this is a time to buy because I want to support them. So, you know, this in and of itself is not going to bankrupt them. And it's not even necessarily from a shareholder, pers shareholder perspective going to hurt their bottom line. Right. Um, nor will the, the loss of contract with state governments. That's, all, that's also not that significant. It, it, it seems really unlikely. I mean, the, based on what I mean, well, Based on what I'm seeing from, from groups, groups like FDD, which they published, the Foundation for Defense and Democracy has published something today, I think it's more likely that we're going to see other more creative efforts to actually draw blood. Um, if you go back to the Airbnb case, I mean, Airbnb, you know, losing state contracts doesn't really hurt Airbnb, divestment wasn't an issue at that point. You know, Airbnb, the major, the major thing used against Airbnb was First of all, a threat that this would screw up their IPO. They had an IPO that was about to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then they had a bunch of slap suits in U.S. courts. Mm -hmm. So you had, you know, there's a, a case in a New York court with kind of a, a, a sort of a, 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 an Israeli company on paper that had a footprint in New York uh, suing in a New York court for allegedly um, being deprived the opportunity to do business with via Airbnb and settlements because of illegal anti-Semitic discrimination. I think that's a harder kind of slap suit to launch when it comes to ice cream. I don't think you can say I'm a, I'm a New Yorker living in a settlement and I'm being deprived of my right to have ice cream because I'm Jewish, but particularly as was the case with Airbnb when if you just cross back 
the green line, you'd, you'd have the right, not a problem. It's just, you know, where you're located, not because you're Jewish. Um, but we're seeing, we're hearing murmurings that suggest to me that there's going to be an effect to, that there's going to be an effort to, to rally shareholders, to raise something maybe in the next shareholder meeting. There was something I saw like looking to file a complaint with the SEC. I, I just, I'm a little baffled what those complaints look like, right? Again, you have from the conservative free speech perspective, absolute defense of on principle, a company or a person's right to not provide services based on principle. But it seems to be this is the one area where there is no such right. Um, I'm just not sure how you how you weaponize that with uh, with lawsuits, but we will see. So I wonder if you have if you've seen anything that ex that helps explain why this actually came to pass, why Ben and Jerry's and Unilever did this. I mean, as you say, it, it's not as I understand it, it's pretty unusual for American uh, companies, uh, even for global companies to, to do this. Airbnb had a rough time of it and ended up uh, right retreating. So um, what's your theory about why, you know, they stepped into the, you know, into the, um, into the, you know, uh, into the fire on this? It's a great question. I mean, I, I informed speculation. This is, this is a this is a company that the the Ben and Jerry's brand is leveraged on in mm. social justice work, right? They're that that is their identity, mm. um, and their presence in settlements. The the fact that you had an Israeli franchisee who is operating in settlements has been a point of I think frustration and target for activism, including from Vermont, where it is you know originated, uh, for a long time. I don't know what the tipping point was. I don't know why they decided to do it now. Um, but they are, you know, if you were going to pick a company to really push to take a stand, it, it makes sense that it would be a company that defines itself by its social activism, right? Um, you know, I, I have to hope that they studied carefully the Airbnb precedents and knew what they were getting into and are prepared to stand up to it. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's, I think, special about about, about this case is, you know, Ben and Jerry's is owned by Unilever, but mm -hmm. as we were all learning, <laughs> I knew nothing about this a week ago, yeah. um, Ben and Jerry's, when they were acquired by Unilever, retained um, the, the autonomy to, to make decisions like this, decisions that, you know, are their, their social justice work, um, which is, puts them in a really interesting place as part of a large company that will then be responsible for what they do. Um, I guess the big question will be going forward, does Unilever stand behind it? And, and right now, I mean, just minutes ago on Twitter, I saw something from like one of the senior people at Unilever, you know, saying he's making clear that they're not backing away from their business in Israel. And, and people suggesting that that's almost a rebuke to Ben and Jerry's. But the Ben and Jerry's statement doesn't say they're walking away from Israel, right? It says they're walking away from distributing in settlements. So I don't see that necessarily being a rebuke as much as a clarification that this is about the location across the green line and not about Israel itself. Right. And also it sounds like from what you're saying, Unilever doesn't have any, unless they want to sell the Ben and Jerry's a brand, they don't have any choice, but they have to go along with this because Ben and Jerry's has the right to make this decision, whether Unilever likes it a lot or not. I don't know that, that, that that's above, that's above my level of expertise in terms of yeah. how that corporation works. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about the response to this is, um, I, I, you know, obviously people on the kind of right have been very angry saying it's anti-Semitic, et cetera. I've been struck by the general kind of 
you know, praise and excitement on the left, which in some ways I find somewhat, inter- you know, interesting and even ironic because as someone, you know, who had had suggested a settlement boycott myself, I'm, I'm very well aware that 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 the folks in the BDS movement are generally quite take a very quite skeptical view in general of, of the notion of distinguishing between settlements in Israel proper, right? It's the kind of the, um, uh, and, you know, they make, you know, reasonable arguments like that ultimately these policies are being directed by the Israeli government, this, you know, which is settlements didn't just emerge, you know, by themselves, they're, they're extensions of, of Israeli government policy. So I'm curious if that's been your perception as well and why you think it is that um, there's been so much enthusiasm about a settlement boycott, given that, as you're suggesting, it's, it, it can be read actually as an as an implicit um, as a, as a distinction between a legitimate in Israel inside the Green Line and an illegitimate Israel beyond the Green Line, which many people in the BDS movement reject. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a, a fair point. I've seen Palestinians reacting to it both ways, mm-hmm. um, and and look, my sense looking at a lot of the reactions, um, certainly on social media, is you know fine. This isn't perfect. You know, we'd rather they were boycotting everything, but you know, the spectacle of watching Israel being prepared to to basically declare war on the United States, on a company named after its two Jewish founders Mm -hmm. for the sake of effectively admitting to the world that is not interested in a two-state solution Mm -hmm. and that it's insisting that the world recognize greater Israel or be called anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, for, I've got to imagine for folks who are, are, you know, advocates of BDS against Israel, this just makes their point. The Israeli government doesn't distinguish between Israel and settlements. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it could not be making that point any more clearly when, when, when Herzog is the guy getting up and saying it is economic terrorism to President, seek distributing right. ice cream in the West Bank. You know, okay, let's stop pretending that this Israeli government or maybe any Israeli government has any interest at all in a two-state solution. Okay, now we said that. So can we agree that it's not anti-Semitic to talk about all of Israel when we're protesting? I, I think that's the, the framing. And look, right. the other thing that this lays bare, and I, I know you know this, but it, it is worth saying, um, there is a constant um, sort of refrain in the Jewish community in the US on this question of anti-Semitism. As we're seeing more and more, you've got to fight anti-Semitism, surging, blah, 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 all of which is true. The refrain says, it is anti-Semitic, ipso facto, to conflate Jews and Israel, which is why if people decide, they say, if you decide to protest for Palestinian rights and you do it in front of a synagogue, you're an anti-Semite, you know, regardless of whether I guess they're flying an Israeli flag. The idea being that if you don't see a distinction between between Jews and you hold all Jews responsible for the acts of Israel, you're an anti-Semite. But this is what we're seeing with, with the Ben and Jerry's is basically that this is a do as we say, not as we do. Because what we're saying when we defend, when people are defending, you know, Israel and saying it is anti-Semitic for Ben and Jerry's to get out of the West Bank, what you're saying is all Jews, all Jews are equivalent to settlers. You cannot make a distinction. They're basically saying if you if you are refusing to serve settlers, then you're refusing to serve all Jews, which erases all the Jews who aren't settlers, by the way, which is, you know, kind of offensive. But it is it is exactly that same conflation, but embracing it and celebrating it and effectively trying to make it the law of the land. Right. So the last question I want to ask you is just to go back to these laws. You have taught you have written about the potential that these laws um, about state contracts, about um, about state pension funds 
that, that, that the Israel-Palestine question could be a kind of canary in the coal mine and that these could be expanded beyond just Israel-Palestine. Are there other examples of that you can point to of where that's happening and, and, and talk about the, the larger concern that you have there? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a piece in 2018 mm. arguing that progressives who are getting on board with these anti-boycott anti laws for Israel we're giving a progressive kosher stamp for legislation that will be a template. It will be a model and a template for legislation that quashes free speech on any issue you pick. Um, I actually went through the exercise of seeing how many words I would have to change to make that possible. And I think at the time people saw that as alarmist, like until it happens, it couldn't, you know, it could never happen. Um, in 2021, we've seen it happen. Um, we saw it start. So uh, as of June, if you are in Texas, you no longer, you can no longer have state contracts in the state of Texas if you are a company that boycotts um, the, the, the uh, fossil fuel industry, the oil and gas industry, and you can no longer have state contracts if you discriminate against the uh, gun and ammunition industry, which I'm pretty sure would include the NRA by their definition. So, you know, if you are, you know, a company which has a principal policy of not investing in you on your on your policy in whatever your your if you have some kind of ethics statement and you you say we don't invest or work with the gun industry that's it don't come to texas oklahoma ohio i think oklahoma passed a similar piece of legislation on oil and gas i actually posted a table um online yesterday about this um so it's only two states have passed them so far i think they were pending in four more states and that's the tip of the iceberg it really is I mean, it, it, it's not a matter of being paranoid. You only have to change a few words. <laughs> and then this, the, the logic behind them is exactly the same. It's saying, you can boycott what you want. We're not telling you what you can and can't do. You have your free, free speech. But if you're gonna do it, you don't have a right to get taxpayer money. We don't have to let you earn taxpayer money. And that goes back to unconstitutional conditions, right? And you can imagine a state which ends up saying, well, we will not give state contracts to any company that has any relations with Planned Parenthood or with the ACLU. It, it, it's easy enough. And the state says, listen, this is the will of our people. The voters put into office legislators who believe that the ACLU is evil. Therefore, we've legislated this. It's our right. Unconstitutional conditions. If you don't protect free speech, even free speech you find distasteful or uncomfortable, um, then you are paving the way for quashing free speech on everything. And we're starting to see that here. And by the way, when I say it's a template, it's like copy paste, right? It's not just saying it's a similar thing. It's yeah. like copy paste. Yeah, yeah. No, this is really important. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're laying out a powerful case for why um, making a kind of Israel-Palestine exception to general progressive and free speech principles is, is bad, not only for Palestinian rights, but actually is bad for the progressive agenda more generally, because the two cannot be entirely cordoned off from one another. Um, uh, look, I'll also say if you are a conservative, I mean, do you want a, a, a state that has a extremely progressive legislature, you know, legislating, you can't have contracts if you, you know, fill in the blank conservative agenda item. Again, you've got to protect free speech, even the speech you find distasteful or, or, or you know, objective. I mean, objectionable. So. Yeah. 
Um, well, this was terrific. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Occupied Thoughts podcast, a project of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. You can visit our website at fmep.org to subscribe to our many resources and find today's podcast episode posted. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. I'm Peter Beinart. I look forward to our next episode. Thank you.